Hello Brooklyn, how you doing? You where you going? We cannot come to. And if I can, I'ma be your man. You can be my lady and have my baby and drive my car. You got me crazy. Hello Nets fans, how you doing? We're back with another episode of the Russell and Fro podcast. Brett, the man bun Garofalo here. Carl, the talent Jackson there. That again, meaning thousands of miles apart. We have so much to talk about tonight and we are very, very excited to welcome back special guest Chris Mulholland to the Russell and Fro podcast. I always ask Carl how he's doing, but I think it's only fair to start with our esteemed illustrious guest. Chris, uh, how are you, man? I'm doing pretty good. Um, currently watching, uh, currently watching the finals game as we're talking, but I'm doing pretty good. I am too. The last game at Oracle Arena, the potential demise of the Golden State Warriors. I think uh, should we all call it live right now, so we're all immediately wrong once this podcast posts tomorrow morning. I, th- I think. <laughs> yeah. I think. Yeah. I think we should. Oh, when you say call live, you don't mean call a play-by-play because I think that could be kind of fun to see, uh, you know, how long of a delay we're all on based on our streaming services. <laughs> that what calls yeah. usually five seconds ahead of me when we're watching these things. So I hear, a, ooh, and I'm like, wait, what happened? What happened? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Chris, who do you think is going to win tonight? Well, I'm hoping for a game seven because there's nothing better than sports than game sevens. So, um, but it would be nice to see the Raptors win everything. But honestly, like with these two teams, I'm pretty neutral. So uh, overall, I would love to see the Raptors win at seven. I'd like to see the Raptors win too. I think, I think they're going to take it tonight. I feel like the Golden State magic was run out in the last game. That was an incredible game to watch. So many weird things happened. So many storylines. It felt like free agency was the bigger storyline after what, what was an incredible win by the Warriors. But I, I feel like, they're just so beat up and exhausted at this point, and the Raptors are still consistently full speed ahead. Doesn't seem like anybody's banged up except Kawhi, but seventy percent for him is a hundred percent for any other player. So I got to go with the Raptors tonight. Exactly, like you just said it right there. Like, especially with like if the Raptors do win, it makes more storylines heading into the offseason because obviously with Kawhi, the biggest speculation is if he ends up as a Los Angeles Clipper. But if they win. Does that does that change his mind? Is it because he came out with an interview a couple of days ago where he's like, "Oh, I already he already's got his mind made up," or he he's well, obviously, quite a man of no emotion, really. So, but um, I don't know. It, it would be interesting. It would be, it would be better if Toronto won. It would make the offseason a little more interesting. But um, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm rooting for Toronto though. You guys I are just, still watching the finals. I feel like that's so last season. I'm I'm already on to the offseason. A bit. We've been there for like three weeks now. I don't know what you guys are <laughs> yeah. talking about. Oh yeah. So, Chris, we, we originally, when, when we were talking about bringing you on, wanted to uh, preview the draft. Uh, since that happened, the Nets' 17th pick has been traded uh, to Atlanta along with Alan Crabb for Torian Prince and, uh, and I guess, a second-round pick, but, but mostly for cap space. So I, I think that's probably the most appropriate place to start that happened after we recorded last week, like literally the day after. What are, uh, what are, what are your thoughts? What are your instant reactions to the, to the Crabb trade? Well, my, my instant reaction to it was it was just a matter of time because obviously, as we discussed off air for a little bit, obviously the Nets needed to move Allen Crabb to make all their offseason dreams become a reality or closer to a reality because that frees up the two max contracts. But overall, I thought it was when, – when I saw the details of the trade, I was like I, – I heard a little prior to the – a couple of days before the trade became official that Atlanta would be one, uh, one of the considered landing spots for Crabb. But um, I was I was I was pretty surprised with what the Nets uh, got in return with Torian Prince, who's literally a a great stretch. Well, not I wouldn't say a great stretch four, but with a stretch four with a good amount of young potential, you could say. Like Torian Prince is he's he 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 showed that he could that he's developing. Obviously, everyone knows him from that that um that Baylor post post press conference that he had, where the reporter said like, "Oh, how did Yale out rebound you?" And he gave up that um that iconic type of uh, oh you go up you go up with two hands you bring it down that's called a rebound so they got more than us but uh, besides from that that this guy can ball he's a stretch four he's strong from three thought he shot thirty nine percent from three point range last season he averages like six attempts per game and the best part about it is we're paying him three point four million dollars and if you look at if you kind of spread that out a lot of th- a big thing that gets unnoticed 
is that the Nets, with that 17th pick, they would have to probably pay that guy $3 million next year. So to trade away that pick, obviously, when the with Tribe getting, getting traded, um, a lot of people would expect, like, okay, with a, him having an $18.5 million expiring contract, clearly that's a little expensive for Crab, but you would have to attach a young player to the deal. But they gave away the 2021 20, second-round pick. I mean, not the 20, but that's what the Nets got in return. But they gave away the 17th pick, and they also gave away a protected first 2020 pick, which is protected to one to 14. So overall, but if you got to look at you got to look at the bright sides. Nets cleared 18.5 million in cap space. Now they have 67 million, which is enough for two max deals. And yeah, since then, Nets news has been buzzing to say the least. I still haven't decided whether or not the best part about. Torian Prince, the Torian Prince move is his contract or his play on the court. He's exactly, that's the thing. And, and the and the and to piggyback off what I just said is obviously uh, he could be he's he's a good replacement for Damari Carroll. Obviously, Damari Carroll doesn't look like one of the free agents that the Nets are going to re-sign. Even though he's in his tenure with the Nets, he was good. The biggest thing that I took away from Damari was not just his play on the court with him being a three and D type player. He could shoot the three, he could play good defense. But his leadership as a veteran, he was a, he was very good in his leadership role. He always he was always he wasn't one of those veterans that just sat on the bench, said a couple things. But a lot of people like when Tamari Carroll, like in his early career, he was a, he was a part of that great, great Hawks team with Jamal Crawford and Josh Smith and all them. So he he's been on winning teams, he's been on losing teams. So he knew exactly like what the situation with the Nets was when he came in. But with uh, with Torian Prince now, like that, I, I could see him as a good replacement for Damari Carroll if Damari Carroll decides to, or if the Nets don't decide to resign him. Big question though: Can Torian Prince replace Damari's drip? Will the fits will 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 the locker room fits be in the same stratosphere as Damari? Because th- that's what I care about. That's what I need to know. I don't know. Demar Carroll's got that swag daddy nickname for a reason, and um, he 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 showed it. He was he was very flashy, and he could. He's mostly that. He proved that he could literally put together anything, any colors, any colorway, any outfit that he wanted, and he could make that look very presentable. And the cameras would immediately attract to him. So we'll have to see. Well, obviously, Torian Prince is on his rookie deal, so. He doesn't have too much too much money to spend on a lot of good clothes, but still, it's a lot of good money. So. I don't know. He's got some big shoes to fill if he wants to fill up that route. Some big alligator skin shoes. Yeah. So it's some, some big oats and some no socks and some nice dress shoes. You got to see if they can fit it. I'm just not sure if he's out here doing this every day. That's my only concern. Yeah. I don't know if he's going to be every day. Like, obviously, you saw Russell won the GQ, um, the GQ award for the best dressed, but. We're also putting it together, just talking about fashion for a bit. Russell had came in with some Yankee uniforms, some hoodies, some flashy coats, everything. He 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 had some he had some drip himself. So I don't know. We'll have to see how Corey Prince could could do it that way. But we'll have to see. Jared Dudley were out on the town looking dapper. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I don't know. Well, we'll have to see. Come, come October, we'll see if um, he instantly breaks it out or it takes some time to kind of get the memo. Although I will say, you made a good point about Damari Carroll and replacing his production. I, I know that your colleague Reed Wallach wrote a, wrote a good article about Prince coming in as a, as a cheaper, younger Damari Carroll replacement. But I did always like how Carroll would come in the game and play at his own pace, slow things down a little bit, and get to the free throw line. And I did think that was a good point by Reed that that's going to be something that Torian Prince has not shown the propensity to replace. But I did also like that he said he might be better as a lower usage player, which if this team shapes up like it's looking to shape up, yeah, he's going to be a low usage player. So he could end up being a really good fit. Exactly. Plus he's on the end, he's on the final year of his, uh, his um, rookie contract. And obviously the qualifying offer he could sign, but there's literally, it's literally like a, like a no risk move type of thing. Cause obviously he, he's going to come in and say he doesn't fit the net system or whatever the case is. Then, all right, so you just don't have to re-sign him, whatever the case is. But I, th- I honestly think he's going to fit well in Brooklyn. Because you got to look at what Brooklyn has as well. And I feel like with that young team, that young core and everything like that, and 
the one interesting thing that got everyone buzzing after the after the trade was the uh, the interview we did with Christine Leahy on the uh, and um, he talked about how he's like very close with KD. So everyone's like, oh, they got Torian Prince just because he's close with KD. One 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 uh one step closer to getting KD and everything. This was obviously before his injury and everything, but. Uh, what I've seen on the court from him and everything along those lines, I think he's going to be a pretty good net. I think so too. And you bring up KD reminded all of us that this trade was not about Torian Prince, even though it's fun to talk about him and the Baylor rebounding after interview. It's more fun to talk about what this trade will mean for the future of the Brooklyn Nets, specifically this coming off season. And before we even made the trade, we had room to sign. So I, I mean, it's crazy to say that this almost seems like a certainty at this point, but to sign uh, one Kyrie Irving, this opens up a second max slot. I, Carl and I have talked about this at length, but I think that we wanted to get your take and your level of excitement on Kyrie Irving coming to the Nets and looking like he was coming to the Nets given his God-given talent, but also the potential culture implications a guy like that could have. Yeah, like I, I, I think I think Kyrie – um obviously he grew up a Nets fan um like he had he back in I forgot exactly when it was but um they they talked about uh him coming to New York and New Jersey and if if it's like a homecoming and he even said like I I wouldn't really necessarily he said like he wouldn't call it a homecoming unless they play in the Izod Center because obviously they played in the Izod Center when he was a when he was growing up in uh South Orange New Jersey went to St. Patrick's and everything but um I I think that it's going to be interesting to see what they do because obviously the the main plan is well the Nets they got sixty seven million they got two max slots and their main thing is to get KD and Kawhi that that was like their their dream they're chasing the big guys they're chasing the big fish they're going fishing but obviously with KD's injury like we talked a little bit on air like I expect KD following the the tragic injury to his Achilles which is going to sideline him for a very big portion of next season if not the whole entire season of uh, next next year but i i just think that um as of now I, i'm interested to see if the nets do in indeed take the Kyrie delo um backcourt um, i'm interested to see because i i think that I, th- I i think that they would make it work because well first they're both two great offensively they're great offensive guards and you you see that Kyrie he he could come up with some clutch shots and D'Lo is just really good from behind the arc, but I don't know we'll have to see what the Nets do. Like I've heard that like despite Kevin Durant's injuries that that doesn't really make teams wear away from offering a match such as the Knicks, Nets, and whatever teams are also going to be in the race for him. But I, I'm I'm but if I was but. But like I said before, I do expect AD to opt into his $31.5 million player option. So I'll have to see um, how everything turns out. But I- I'm a fan of the Kyrie D'Lo backcourt. I am too. I think without signing a player like KD or somebody that really moves the needle in the power power forward spot, it might turn us into Portland Trailblazers East, which again, they made the Western Conference Finals this year. So is that the worst thing in the world? Absolutely not. But do I think that they have a championship ceiling? Not necessarily. And so I'm, I'm very interested to see how that works out. But goddamn, would that be fun to watch? Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Because you, you just hit it right there. I was going to bring up the comparison with D- Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. Obviously, that would be kind of a a not a mirror image but it would be identical to that type of situation where they're both they're both ball dominant offensive guards and they could shoot and they know they know each other's roles and everything but um and one thing to bring up too is like i said three times already on this interview is that i expect katie to opt into his player option and that opens up that say you get Kyrie and delo and and then at following the 2019-2020 season when kd officially hits the market as a as a free agent that might be your chance to build a super team right there that the Kyrie and D- Kyrie and D'Lo could show that, Hey, we're an Eastern conference team. Like, like my, my opinion on it, if the Kyrie D'Lo did, thing did happen, I don't see that being like an Eastern conference finals team. I see that being like identical to the trailblazers in the past couple of years. Like they, they go to, they, they slip past like the first round, then they get into the second round. They could get, bounce then or whatever the case is but like a like a they can make a good run in the playoffs and then by the time katie's a free agent he might say you know what like i'm pretty interested in what brooklyn has going on here 
um, I should heavily consider this. And then you never know, that could be your super team come 2020 and 2021 season. That's not a terrible idea. Let another team pay KD while he rehabs and then pick him up after that when he's back and fully healthy. Exactly. Exactly. Cause I like, I, I just don't see Kevin Durant leaving golden state on the terms that and the conditions that's going on right now, obviously injured his Achilles. It's tragic, especially for a player that's 30. Like um, the Achilles injury, especially with NBA athletes mostly is like the most, it's, it's a nightmare for players. They, they, that's the one injury that a lot of players don't seem like having. Obviously you see like Dominique Wilkins, Elgin Baylor, Kobe Bryant, like the list goes on of even like Wesley Matthews. Like he still plays, but like he's, he hasn't had that same impact that he had when he when he went down with the Achilles injury and same thing you saw like Brendan Jennings like a couple years like a couple years ago he tore it and like now he's like where is he now like you know what I mean like you just it's one of those injuries that you just don't know how they're going to come back so is it is it risky offering a Kevin Durant a max contract obviously we see what Kevin Durant has done over the over his whole career he's he's easily been a top 10 player in the NBA just from really the beginning into now, I think he's the best player in the league currently today. But I just I don't I don't know if with the Nets right now, do you do you say, hey, let's 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 take the risk. You know what? He sits out the season, but you know what? We'll just give him a max contract to bring him in. We don't know what's gonna happen until July first and when, when everything the floodgates open up, but I don't know. It's gonna be interesting to see. Yeah, I just it's it's such an interesting thing to think about too because when when you're thinking about the youth of the Nets, we have the time to wait for somebody like Kevin Durant to rehab. So I I could still see us going after him. And if he's thinking about not taking the qualifying offer, and we have a we have a super young team. And then if you look at Kevin Durant's age too, you mentioned all those guys where the Achilles injury was effectively a career ender for them. Kobe, Elgin, Dominique, they were all 33 plus. Now, I don't know how much that really makes a difference or not. Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. But he, he might still have a couple years after that. Can you bank on that? Probably not. Did the Nets want to take a chance knowing that we don't necessarily have a window outside of Kevin Durant's age if we do sign him? Maybe we do. Uh, but I think if we do, we're going to have to bring in hero among us, Rudy Gay, who has come back from an Achilles injury and been playing pretty well to just you know give Kevin Durant some hope as he's sitting on the sidelines with nothing but his thoughts. Yeah, exactly. You just hit it right there. Like you don't. It's it's obviously to a lot of people like they may say, "Hey, it's Kevin Durant. Like we see what he does." An Achilles injury, he may he may drop a bit, but still he's going to be a top five player in the NBA. But you just you just never know with those type of injuries because they're just like if a player goes up for a dunk or they go up for a block, it's, it's always going to be in the back of their mind. Like that happens with any type of lower body injury players that it sticks. People don't think, but it sticks in the back of their mind when they're playing like, Hey, like, okay, do like how, 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 how much of a drive could I get to this basket or like whatever the case is. Cause with Achilles, like that just takes away your explosiveness that you once had. But like, I don't know with KD, like it, it's KD, you know what I mean? He's just, He's 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 one special player, and he's definitely going to go down as one of the, one of the greats. But you, do, you just don't know like what's going to happen when he returns. Yeah, I agree with you on that, man. I what I, so I I've been thinking a lot about what happens if we don't get Kevin Durant, and like you said earlier, we sign Kyrie and D'Angelo Russell to max contracts what we do with the rest of the team and the exceptions that we have to sign other players. Have you put thought into uh, not necessarily minimum guys, but more fringe players that you would want to plug some of the holes on the team? Yeah, like a lot of like, obviously with the off season, obviously for every net fan, and every fan around the league, everyone, everyone just keeps in the back of their mind, like, Hey, they're going for the big fish. But a lot of people don't, don't really take into perspective that the Nets already have a good young core, how it is to begin with. So like, I, like they have Rodians, Karuks, John and Musa, like John and Musa, like a lot of people didn't get to watch him, but he, I watched him a lot on Nets throughout the whole, the whole season last year. And listen, he's very young. Uh, I believe, I believe he's still 19 as it is. He may be 20 at this point, but you just like with that young Karis Levert, Rodians, Karuks, Theo Pinson, like that with that group that has good potential, obviously like, if I told you any of these guys, do I see them as being superstars? They're too young. That's that's what like just getting a little off topic. That's what happened with the Lakers with Matt, with D'Angelo Russell. Like, 
Hey, yeah, he had a couple off court instances that may have may have had, may have led Magic Johnson to trade him away and everything like that. But at the same time, a lot of fans and a lot of a lot of people overall always forget. Like when a player comes out of the draft, they may say, "Okay, he go he may be selected in the top 15. He better he better make an impact first two years. So he better be meet expectations first two years. But at the same time, they're only 21, 22 years old by that time. And then they're not even in their prime. And then when they hit their prime, like Russell, for example, he came a first-time All-Star with the Nets to the sixth seed all the way to the playoffs. And that's how it is. So, but to get back on your question of any free agents I would like to see the Nets kind of kind of pursue, um, it's kind of – I'm not sure because, like, before they're, they're going big fish hunting. They're obviously going after the big names. Like, Kawhi, I, I don't see it. I, I, I just don't – I don't even see Kawhi. Obviously, he's going to give them a look. But a look is is as sound as as plain as it is. It's a look. You, that that does not mean he's going to take a meeting with them. But he may he may just glance at him, say, "Hey, what's going on over here?" And say, "You know what? Uh, it's just going to be between Toronto and LA. Like it may just be that. Like and there's other players. Like I see Clay Thompson returning to the Warriors. Chris Middleton. I could see him going back to the Bucks. I don't see him. It would be it would be surprising for him to leave." Because of what the Bucks have been going on with going on now, obviously they were just one step away from reaching the NBA Finals. So I see him staying, but I, I just don't. I don't. I don't see any. I, I'd say Kyrie and just. I say it's between Kyrie, D'Lo, and Durant. That's that's kind of what I see right now. Obviously, I'm a big fan of having Russell return because without Brooklyn would not be where it is without D'Angelo Russell. And do you let a? Pl- a like literally a point guard that just got off his first all-star appearance, came off a career year, showed leadership qualities and everything. And he, he wants to be in Brooklyn. Do you let him just walk? You say, you know what? You know what? Hey, he's 23. You know what? We could get Kyrie and Kevin Durant, start up something. And do we just let him walk? It's, it's a risk, but he's a restricted free agent, which gives the Nets 48 hours to match his contract. If he does sign with another team, I see like, like teams, like, let me think. Like, literally, I could see Dallas offering him a deal. I could see the Pacers offering him a deal, pairing him with Ola Depot. I could see the Suns, obviously, Devin Booker. That's self-explanatory. Uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves have been in the news as late. Obviously, him and Carl Anthony Towns is a very close relationship, so I could see him going to Minnesota and that being a smart move, especially if Carl Anthony Towns happy and want to stay and everything like, along those lines. But I, I would love to see D'Lo stay. And, yeah, kind of just everything along those lines. You brought up a really good point about draft strategy with where a team sits on their timeline. And one of the things that I always think about is, do we, is this guy going to produce on his rookie contract or is he not going to? Like you said, and that strategy changes as you become a better and better team. If you're a younger team, yeah, you can afford to draft somebody that might not be a productive NBA player until they get that contract after their fourth year. But if you're a team like the Warriors or a team like the Raptors, you're looking for somebody that's going to give you production within those first four years that's going to contribute to the team to either spell some of your better players during the during the regular season. And going back to the term load management that is, everybody seems to love and gets mentioned in every article now. Um, or you're looking for somebody that's going to replace a free agent that you were going to have to overpay and go deep into the tax and it just isn't feasible to keep around financially. So I think it's just, it's just very interesting to think about the draft strategy of some of these teams. And it's almost unfortunate that free agency plays out after the draft for the Nets this year because if it played out beforehand, I think it would drastically change what our draft strategy would be in terms of the type of player that we would look at. Exactly. You just said it right there. Like You see the Nets, like Sean Marks and every every one of his moves, his trades and everything, he he loves his second-round picks. He loves them. And he set up the Nets for a very good future run with a lot of draft picks, having a first and a second in every – every upcoming draft coming up from at least I think up until 2023, 2024. But like, that's just, that's just how the nets are. Some teams like, like you mentioned earlier with the warriors, they drafted up they, like the Spurs back in the day, like everyone, like a lot of, a lot of player, a lot of fans on the other hand realize, Hey, like we may have to just bring in this big free agent. Everything will just turn everything around. But like the, what the nets have right now is one thing that's that, uh, that differs from every other team that, um, you guys have probably heard it before. It's the culture. They they built a culture there that a lot of NBA teams 
don't have a big, a strong enough culture compared to them. Like they're, they're very tight knit. They have their own thing going there, which makes them attractive because you see everything with Kenny Acton being like a very good player development coach, being known as a coach that uh, players like to play under. And then obviously you guys see what, the, besides from the, all the free agent offseason news, you see all the players, the net staff that's, that has left. That shows that, yes, we did lose a couple of people. We saw we lost, lost Trajan, we lost Pablo and all them. But like that shows that a lot of teams around the league are taking notice of the success that the Nets have going. And um, yeah, just, just about that it. This season proves how important culture is on the negative side with a team like the Celtics and on a positive side with a team like the Nets. At the beginning of the season, we all remember Kyrie sitting in front of Celtics fans and saying, I would love to re-sign with you if you'll have me back. Slowly devolving into weird passive-aggressive quips at his teammates with them firing back during the season. And now multiple respected sources coming out and saying that Kyrie is going to sign with the Nets. But speaking about culture and speaking about what happened in Boston, do you feel like Kyrie Irving is going to have a negative impact on the Nets culture and uh, undermine some of the stuff that we've built in Brooklyn? Or if not, what's your take on that? Yeah, well, first I'll just start off with what you mentioned with the Kyrie in front of all the Boston fans. Like, like you're telling me Kyrie would sit in front of a whole TD bank guard and say he's not going to resign there. Like, obviously he's gonna he's gonna see either way if he does if he if he hates the team whatever the case is he's gonna tell the fans hey I'm gonna resign here because you don't want something like Anthony Davis where he goes on the home court and he gets booed every time he touches the ball. But like, but with the with your point on uh, Kyrie if he makes a positive impact or not. I just I think that Boston taught him a lot from like where like what his whole role is on any NBA team because obviously when he's coming off the Cavs his main thing was hey you know what I want to be the main guy on a team I want to I want to lead a team I want to do everything but like you saw with the Celtics this year when he's surrounded by a young core and he wants to be the leader like obviously a lot of things didn't go his way everyone had the when he early before the season, people had the Celtics, even me, they had them projected to be the Eastern conference finals, if not the NBA finals. But I, I think that if, if Kyrie does come to Brooklyn, I'm just going to put in this perspectives of a Kyrie and D'Lo. If that happens next season, I think that he'll mesh. Well, I don't think we're going to have another Boston replay of just um, like uh, kind of a, like a, a bad look, like he's 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 hogging the ball too much, he wants to be the leader, whatever the case is. But you gotta understand that hey, it's D Lo and Kyrie, they're both two ball dominant guards. You don't know how it's you don't know how it's gonna work until it works, until it happens. And no one's gonna know until they step on the court together. But I just feel like I feel like Boston was a good learning lesson for him. Obviously the that put in everyone in the back of their minds that hey, he Kyrie's not fit yet to be the Batman of a team, but he could be. He's an excellent Robin. We saw with LeBron in the Cavs, like he, like when when they took down Golden State three one, you saw Kyrie he had a ton of clutch shots. He was on the floor. He led the team in some possessions, some key, some very big key possessions, and that's where he's valuable as well. But I just I, I see him fitting well in Brooklyn. Obviously, we don't know until it happens or until and well, if we get the chance to see it happen. But it's, it's a net, it's a risk that Sean Marks and the Nets are going to have to take. Do we do we want to try meshing them together? Obviously, we see D'Angelo Russell a couple like I think it was yesterday or two days ago. He liked a fan's picture of two uniforms of him and Irving right back to back with each other, saying the future Nets backcourt. He liked it, and he even spoke with Brian Lewis a couple weeks ago, and he said that he's that he's open to the idea of pairing the two. So with Kyrie saying, hey, I have serious interest in Brooklyn and obviously D'Angelo Russell wanting to stay, it's it could be it could be a good match. Obviously, they know how it's all the Nets fans know how it could work out. But I don't know. It's just one of those risks you just got to take if you if you're the Nets. Do you take it? Do you not take it? But we won't know until it finds out or we get the chance to see if it finds out. 
that, that's such a good point about Kyrie's season with the Celtics, though. It, it's almost like he was moving out of his parents' house for the first time, living on his own and realizing how hard life was without being under the media and talent shelter of LeBron James. One of my favorite stories from the season is LeBron out to dinner with Kevin Love, seeing a call from Kyrie Irving and almost falling out of his chair because of all the stuff that happened in Cleveland leading to Kyrie leaving. And I, I love what you said about how, what the heck is Kyrie supposed to say in front of a group of fans that are asking him if he's going to sign there. It, it reminded me of sitting in a job interview and you're interviewing with three or four companies and you've got one that's your first choice and you know that, but you're not going to sit there and say, if somebody asks you, is this your first choice? Oh, actually you guys are second or third on my list. <laughs> exactly. That's what, that's what I mean. Like if you're those Boston, Boston Celtics fans, there's, there's three franchises that have fans that will, that will sell out your arena wherever you go or close to sell out. That's the Lakers, Celtics and Knicks. And if you and if you're literally in front of all those fans and Danny Ainge is pointing a microphone in your face and he's like, hey, are you going to stay? You're, are you really going to tell all those thousands of fans and tens? You know what? I'll, I'll, I'll start packing my bags. I'll, I'll 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 make sure that I have a flight out of here by the end of the regular season. I'll go sign with another team. It's obviously not going to work. He's going to obviously say he's going to stay. So, Chris, tell us a little bit about what it's been like this offseason, you know, not only with the deluge of amazing Nets news and, and them kind of being the center of attention, which is a little bit of a change of pace for the Nets, but also watching somebody that you've worked with, a, a close colleague like Anthony Puccio, being at the absolute center of the storm, breaking news, getting picked up by local talk radio and, and Tony Reality and around the horn and everything like that. What's that been like? Yeah, well, one thing that one thing I could probably say is that kid that he works very hard. He works very, very hard. And, and um, I remember meeting him. The first time I met him was uh, back in June of uh, 2018 at a, at a uh, New Era event with that star D'Angelo Russell. I was there. I walked in and uh, we walked in together. And obviously, I recognized him. I was with nothing but Nets at Fanside at the time. And before the event, we talked for a little bit. And then we got to exchange information and stuff. And at the event, we caught, we he had his things to do. I had my stuff to do. So we we uh, exchanged words uh, commonly and stuff like that. But, um, and then when I joined Nets daily, he was, uh, that's when our relationship got closer and everything. But that he, like I said before, he really works hard. Like um, he's, he's been with Nets daily for a number of years now. And in the Barkley center, like if you, if, if you say, Hey, what's one reporter that you guys know, Anthony Pujo is going to be the first name that comes up. And um, he, he, he's worked hard for his sources and, um, just just the just everything really like he like when he a lot of people obviously with nets daily it's 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 a, it's a smaller audience compared to like the daily news and the, the the regular guys everyone likes to hear from like brian lewis stefan bondi all them and they do great work as well when uh he broke the kyrie irving news um that was big he was the first one to report it and obviously the bigger names may have hovered over his news a little bit but um he deserves all the credit for breaking that and yeah, he, I, I'm, he's, he's, def, he's definitely heading down a good path. And um, I think that he'll definitely, um, yeah, he's, he's, he's bound for success. For sure. Well, I mean, it's been fun to watch from a Nets fan perspective, and it's been cool to see him grow and see guys like you kind of come into the fold. So that's pretty cool. Do you guys find one, one curiosity that I've always had is like, do you guys find it easier to relate or for the players to relate to you since you guys are around the same age, as opposed to somebody like a, you know, Stefan Bondi or, or, or Brian Lewis who are coming in that are, that are a little bit older? Um, I, I would say, I would say that type of aspect is, it depends on your play. It depends on the connection with the player. Like I'd say there's, you gotta, obviously when you talk to a player for the first time, you gotta be, you just gotta state your information. You gotta say what you gotta say. But if you talk to them on a common basis, if you go in the games, post games and stuff like that, obviously you see Pooch, He's got very close connections to a lot of Nets players. He, he like we saw on a, on his Twitter and Instagram the other day. He went bowling with Karis Levert and everything like that. So he has very tight knit. I know he's very he's close with D'Angelo and Spencer Dinwiddie. Most of the Nets players know his name. He's been all over the place. But I'd say that definitely takes into some consideration that if that we're both around the same age. There's obviously D'Angelo is 23. Um, Pooch is around that same age, and like me, I'm only 21 years old. But like when like for me, for example, a lot of it depends because a lot of young reporters too. They they may obviously it's expected if you're talking to an NBA player, maybe a little nerve wracking or whatever the case is, and your voice get may get a little shaky if you're talking to him or whatever the case is. But I would say like 
it's, it depends on the player. Honestly, I'd, I'd say a lot of players, they, they, they really value your work because if you're a reporter, if you, if you twist an athlete's words in a quote or you twist a story or whatever the case is, they're going to remember that they'll remember that. And they'll, they'll, they'll know when the next time they talk to you, like, okay, I got to be careful what I say, or, you know what, should I, should I give this, this reporter some good information, whatever the case is from there. But I just think that it's all, it all depends on the player connection. It all depends what the the connection you have with the specific player. Cool. So I guess, you know, we've talked a lot about, like what the plans are and what the plans were and how we feel about Kyrie and, and who, you know, some of the under the radar free agents, um, you know, you might think, I guess, let, let's talk a little bit about draft night and a little bit about what you expect to see from the nets there. And it doesn't, you know, we can talk about specific players if you want, um, or we can talk about, you know, the potential for additional kind of wheeling and dealing um, and, and making moves. What, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, well, um, obviously the number 17 picks off the board. And I expected if they did have that 17th pick, I would expect if, if he was on the board, I would say Bull Bull was definitely a good, uh, it would be the highlight pick at 17. I think, I think like I tweeted out earlier today that I think Bull Bull is really something special. Obviously he's the big, biggest mystery player in this draft, but there's one quality that, that that kid has that a lot of other big men don't have. And that's established shooting. Because when you come into this league, obviously it's it, the league has completely changed over the past couple of years. It became a shooting league rather than just a traditional big man pound and pound the paint type of thing. But Bull Bull, like you, we've seen it at Oregon, we've seen his workout videos. He can consistently shoot the three, and he can consistently shoot from anywhere on the floor. But now that the Nets have the twenty-seven, a couple names that I th- that I think are to keep in mind that I think the Nets would definitely if they did. now obviously. We, we don't know what Sean Marks is going to do. Hey, he may trade the picks and lead up to a brighter offseason. You never know what the case is with the, with the Nets and what they're going to do. But I would say a couple players to keep your mind on. I, I think Kevin Porter Jr., the crafty guard out of UFC, USC. Obviously, the, the Nets, they picked up Jordan McLaughlin last year out of UFC. He was six foot, and you saw what he did with Long Island. And the big thing, before I get into the players of the Nets that they do a good job of, is – they develop these draft picks or unsigned uh, free agents out of the draft is that they bring them to Long Island and they develop them. Obviously you saw with Theo Pinson undrafted, they signed him quickly right after draft night and look what he became. He was, he was, if not the best G league player last year. And you saw with John and Musa, like I discussed earlier, like he's, he's, he's something special. Obviously he's young, but he, he could do, he could do a lot of damage if he hit, if he, if he's going on the path that he's going to go on. But to get back on your point of some names, I think Kevin, like I said before, Kevin Porter Jr. at UFC probably mocked in like the early twenties. So we'll have to see if he does slide to like 27. Another, another uh, player to keep in mind is like Keldon Johnson, the shooting guard out of Kentucky. He's a freshman. He's six, six. He played, he played 37 games last year. He started 36. I think he averaged just under 14 points, 30 minutes per game, and he's all around. He could shoot the threes. I think he's a .381% three-point shooter and somewhere in the 500s for, for the field. But um, he could definitely fit in with them. I think that one player that has been getting a lot of steam in the next mouth drafts is Luka Simonic out of Serbia, the power forward. He's 19 years old. Obviously, we know how much Sean Marks and the Nets love their international players. And I could like when I was just looking over some of his highlights of what he's what he did in Serbia and everything and on international play, I could see a good Nikola Mirotic out of him. I could see him shooting some threes. I could see him driving the ball very well, playing a good mid range game. He worked out with the Pacers. Well, uh, Salmonic worked out with the Pacers this week. Suppose he had an impressive workout. He's six eleven, so and he could shoot the ball. So that if that doesn't scream Nets to to most fans, I don't know what does because he seems like he's good. But you don't you don't know where he's going to fall. He's one of those mystery players too that go in the twenties, thirties, or even forties, depending on what way he ends up. Uh, and then obviously there's Grant Williams, the forward out of Tennessee Junior. He had a standout season this past uh, college season, and um, he was the Nas- he was a Naismith finalist and everything like that. He he produced. He's six seven. He could shoot. He has a mid range game. He's strong on the inside. And then, if you want to get to the the, the, the number thirty one pick, which is 
which is I, I like to call it a late first rounder because even though it's the first pick of the second round, like it's, it's well, first off, we got the pick from New York, which makes it a little bit sweeter. But um, some some key players to keep an eye on for there, I'd say Chumo Kiki out of Auburn. Obviously, he had that devastating knee injury. But uh, he's a combo forward. He could stretch the floor just what, like, the Nets like to do, like, to stretch the floor. He's 6'8", 235. Uh, and I see, like, a Noah Vonley player out of him. I honestly see that. I think that he, he's a strong mid-range player. He could shoot the three if he has the space and everything along those lines. But, he, like, I, like I said, like, he's he, – I could see him fitting with the Nets very well, obviously – with the with the knee injury he had, he's gonna miss a little bit of time. But we know we know how um, like I said before, the Nets they like to send their draft picks to the to the G League with Long Island, develop them. So he won't have a lot of pressure. Obviously the Nets are one of those organizations where they don't put a lot of pressure on their draft picks to perform right away on the big stage. So and then I would say another thing is Nas Reed out of the uh, LSU. Obviously he was like he was already he like always mocked at the Nets from even the like he was talking about in the Nets like in the beginning of the year, middle of the year, whatever the case is, the strong center out at LSU. Like I could see him. And one one prospect I'm very interested in seeing if the Nets do take is Darius Baisley, which is everyone knows everyone knows who he is. And if people don't know who he is, he's the New Balance intern that's a client that Rich Paul, he's his agent, obviously with Clutch Sports, the bronze agent as well. Uh, he's six nine. He's two hundred eight pounds. He's got a wingspan of I think seven feet. Uh, he's a lefty. He's a forward, and he's and he's only nineteen years old. And obviously, he's he's that mystery product. Obviously, we only saw him on the high school level. We saw him what he could do with the McDonald's All American game and everything like that. But he's mocked anywhere from 40, 41 to fifty five. But I've heard like the Nets, the Nets are pretty fond of him, and we'll we'll see what they do. But obviously, like I said before. You don't know what picks we're going to have till draft night comes or the selection comes around until you see the Nets have made the selection. You don't know. So, but those are my prospects for both the number 27 and number 31. Amazing list, first of all. Thank you. Um, I guess I, I got a couple questions. I wouldn't go through every single one, but but I guess, um, you know, Bull Bull, I think, you know, who, who's the first guy you brought up, I think is just fascinating to me for, for a couple of reasons. I mean, number one, I saw your, your tweet today about, you know, him coming in as such a polished three point shooter and such a polished three point shooter for somebody who's seven feet tall is, is pretty unique from a skill set perspective. Have you watched him play enough to get a feel on his defense? Cause like, obviously that's been the big knock on him, but at the same time, I wonder if you're seven feet, you know, how ineffective can you really be? And particularly for a team like the Nets, that's been creative about, you know, using guys that are taller, whether it's like putting Jared Allen back in a zone or, you know, finding different ways to, to get effectiveness out of guys from defense. Like, like what are your thoughts there? Yeah. Like you just said it right there with Jared Allen, obviously like Jared Allen, like, like Bobo and Jared Allen, they're both smaller size, big men, not height wise, but like strength and weight wise. They're, they're pretty skinny. Obviously, you saw Jared Allen got commonly beat up by Andre Drummond, Joel Embiid, the bigger big men in the league. But uh, Kenny Atkinson has done, a, I think, a good job of developing Jared Allen. Obviously, you saw the progression from his, from his rookie year to his sophomore year. He's put on a complete block show this past season of Giannis, James Harden, LeBron, obviously the, the most the poster boy of that whole list. But I think I think with Bull Bull, obviously his defense is in question. Obviously he's very he's very very skinny compared to a lot of other centers, especially in the centers today in the NBA that are in the league. But yeah, obviously the defense is his main flaw, and that's why he's not going to be a top ten pick in my opinion. Obviously it'd be a surprise if he is selected top ten. But he, he, we didn't get to see a lot of him at the college level because obviously he had his injury and he had to get surgery and got shut down for the season. But I think if if the Nets somehow some if the Nets somehow some way get their hands on him if he does slide to twenty seven, I don't think it's even a question. I think they're easily going to take him. With the, I think it'll be five seconds off the clock, and they'll say, "Give us ball, ball." But yeah, that that's a good point that you brought up with the with the defense. Obviously, his size is going to be the main thing. And obviously, if you look back at all the draft profiles that Jared Allen had coming out of Texas. That they were they were they were identical on the defensive side. That oh he may be too skinny. He's going to get dominated by the big men, whatever the case is. But the league, like I said before, it's 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 a shooter's league, and big men need to learn how to shoot for not just from mid range, but have that have that three in their arsenal just in case they get open or they need to spread the floor for other players on the floor. 
your list got me excited about two things. One, which is a good reminder, instead of paying Nikola Miritich $15 million a year, we can pay his younger Serbian twin $3 million a year for the same production. And two, it reminded me how excited I am to watch Theo Pinson get real meaningful playing time on this team next year. Yeah, obviously he was – everyone knows him for his dance moves across the league. He was the bench He was the bench conductor. He did everything from dance, from doing the wave on the floor to every type of dance you could think of. But if you look at him, I'm telling you, if you look at his G League highlights, and I spoke to him after the G League final and everything, and he – when I asked him, um, like I was like, hey, like what's your role going to the Nets playoffs? Because obviously Long Island, they, they, um, they, they lost it. They had a, a tough loss against the well they lost in the g league finals they just came up short but i think i think pinson like he can i think that he can make a good impact on this nets team he's shown progression um obviously with the g league like i said before if he i think he's easily in my opinion i think he was the top he was the best g league player last year in the whole the whole league just by just his game and everything like we talked about i think on the last interview that i did with you guys with what Will Weaver said about Theo Pinson, like I have never seen someone of that that age have that much of an established an eye for the game of basketball, and that's coming from Will Weaver, who's been on multiple. He's been he's been all over. You could say he's been literally all over the place when it came to coaching positions. Now he's in the NBL coaching the Sydney Kings, but like I, I think Theo could really become. I would say obviously superstar. Like that that's not even in question as of now, but. I would say like he could be a very productive like third string off the bench or maybe like a what Shabazz Napier brought to the Nets last year, like something along those lines, I could say. A younger Shabazz Napier who contributes on defense, I think is what we're really looking exactly. for. Exactly. His defensive game's really strong. His defensive games are really strong. But yeah, I agree with you. Given his age, I really think that he was, if not the best G League player, one of the best G League players. Because I think there were some older guys that played pretty well that could have contributed a bit more on the NBA level. But if you're looking at overall uh, overall meaning and purpose of the G League, which is to take players and develop them into NBA players that may not have otherwise had a shot without going to Europe or one of the international leagues, I, I would say that he was one of the best. Exactly. Like he's like, obviously like he, he, I know to this day, he's got a very close relationship to Roy Williams, his college coach during the G league finals. Roy Williams was with his assistant coach on the right in, right on the, right on the court, watch cheering on his former, his former player. And just, and he's in that, he's also, he's also got championship experience. He won a national championship at UNC and he knows, he knows obviously college levels a lot different than the pros but he could bring a lot to the table if he does come back and he, he is with the Nets. Cool, man. So um, right before we, we started this, you were telling us a little bit about uh, this, this project that you're working on, this book that you're writing, and um, thought that you know it would be an awesome way to, to kind of close this thing out where it was to talk a little bit more about it and, and – and learn about it. So why don't you, can you tell us a little bit about the book and we can ask you a couple questions about it? Yeah, sure thing. So uh, over the past couple of years, I would say two or a year and a half, two years, I've been working on a project and um, like we talked a little bit off air uh, when I was, when I was in sophomore year of college, I was just thinking of like, okay, like what's one thing that could put me apart from a lot of other young, young people, young college students that want to become or uh, want jobs in the sports industry when it comes to the media and one of my college professors, Philip Bondi, who's who's most famously for his work with the Daily News. Now he's a New York Times contributor. He was one of my professors and he, and he did a lesson about self-publishing books on Amazon. And I was like, you know what, like that could be a big project. But I'm all, I was always that kid that, you know what, like you put something in front of me, I'll get it done. So I, I just sat by, I just sat around and was like, OK, like what could I write this book on? And the first article I ever published was the, was with Elite Sports New York was the internationalization of the NBA, and I've always I've always been fond of how the league turned global from from all the way back from obviously I was born 1998 but like just from the time where I watched started watching the NBA like we talked a little bit when I was a Nets fan um, on our last recording but I was just I was just always fond of it so I was like you know what let me write about. The, the the globalization of the NBA. So the book's called Basketball Beyond Borders: The Globalization of the NBA, 
And I talk about everything from when basketball was created by James Naismith in the 1800s and the early their early evolution of basketball, which is the National Basketball League, which lasted from 1898 to 1904, uh, the early college basketball from 1983 to 1938, just everything. The, the Basketball Association of America, the, the first international players to really make their mark in the NBA. So some names off the top of my head to give you is like uh, Hank Biaziotti. He came in 1946. Obviously, Mike D'Antoni, a lot of people don't really realize that. But he, he was a big name international-wise. You look at his resume with the, in the Italian league, he, he, it's fully decorated. That guy, he has a lot of hardware from international play. And then like Sweeney or Kiki Vandeweghe, and I, talk, I go into Summer Olympics. I talk about the games going global. Obviously, the main, the main catalyst that, is, that I wrote about in this book, the NBA globalization, is obviously the 1992 Dream Team. I like to, I like to say that ba- the game basketball was created in the 1800s by James Naismith, but the the modern NBA game was created in 1992 in Barcelona. That was at the Olympics, and that put everyone that put everyone at um like wow, like you know what the game basketball you saw you saw after that all the countries started to gain it, they gained popularity, and uh, today now you see the impact it has on today. 65% of or it's close to a 60 65% of the Canada's population has tuned into the NBA finals. And then otherwise, other parts of the book, I highlight key players. So I highlight Patrick Ewing, Drazen Petrovic, Kikemi Mutombo, um, Kim Olajuwon, Dominique Wilkins. A lot of people don't know that Dominique Wilkins is actually international. He was born in France because his, his dad was in the military stationed over there. He, wasn't, he, wasn't, he was raised there to a young age. I think it was up to he was about 13. And then he came here, started playing high school ball. And then he went on to college. And then obviously the rest is history. Everyone knows the human highlight film from there. And then, yeah, everything along those lines is just, just, just a uh, pretty good. Just everything about NBA globalization, literally from drafts being held in 1995, being draft being held in Canada. Obviously, that that's when the Raptors and the Vancouver Grizzlies just stepped foot in the league and everything along those lines. And then you talk about Dirk, Paige uh, Storyakovich, Steve Nash. Just hit a couple names off the top of my head. And then the face of the globalization of the NBA today. Obviously, Giannis is my big talking point in that book. Everything that he's accomplished from from coming out of Greece with just, just about nothing. His family was his family were, wasn't having the best life in Greece. And then you saw what the game of basketball has done to his family, what he has done and everything onwards. So the book should be out, I would say by end of July, early August. And yeah, I'm pretty excited for it. So two things. Number one, you mentioned Sven Nader. And uh, that is the second Sven Nader discussion that we've had on this podcast. And I would challenge any other NBA or basketball related podcast to have a higher Sven Nader to podcast episode ratio than ours right now, because he came up in a okay. discussion of uh, like re- we were talking about rebound percentage. And uh, I don't remember. It was it was it was a freewheeling discussion. The Kardashians were involved, uh, uh, you know, in terms of whether or not they dated uh, the most NBA players with the highest rebound percentage, but Sven Nader was, was in the mix, uh, not for his dating life, just for being like third all time on uh, rebound percentage. So that, that's my Sven Nader story. Um, secondly, who, so you mentioned kind of all the, all the different names that you had when you were researching this, um, who was somebody that you didn't know about before you started this project that, that you learned about kind of through doing this, that, that is like your, is your favorite, uh, you know, person that you've been introduced to through this project? I would say the, the biggest, the biggest thing I've learned from this writing, this whole entire book has just been gaining knowledge. just about the whole game, just from the very beginning to just how, where it is today. It's just, it's, it's really phenomenal if you think about it, because this is like, this is an American sport we're talking about. The basketball was invented in Mass Springfield, Massachusetts. Well, Invented by a Canadian, in fairness. The what? I said invented by a Canadian, in fairness. Exactly, exactly. Dr. James Naismith, he was Canadian, exactly. And that's, and just from, I would say just every, like if you just look at the whole, from back then to now, just in, and obviously it's going to go, I, I remember I was, it's going to be in my book. I talked to Rick Buecher a couple weeks ago. And he says that I asked him, I said, Hey, where do you see the game basketball going with global, global wise? And he's, he's like, I, I see it as being as big as soccer. 
And I, I could, I could, uh, obviously, soccer is the biggest sport in the whole entire world. It's every country, every country has a passion for it. It's one of those sports that really attract the fans to just having a passion for the the game of sports. But it's just, and I, I talked to Grant Hill about it, and he, Grant Hill, told me he's like the without the 1992 Dream Team, like that that really pushed that over the edge to scan the game out global and. And he also mentioned how Giannis is going to be known as one of those guys that will always have their their footprints submit like in the pavement when it talks to in talks of just the game globalizing. So just overall, but getting back to your question of just one player that really got my interest or that I've learned a lot about. Obviously, like I would say it's Patrick Ewing, because when you think about just Patrick Ewing, obviously he came from Jamaica. He, he dominated at Georgetown. But that, but obviously the thing that's highlighted is is that draft, the 1985 NBA draft. Obviously, the frozen envelope is what a lot of people call it with David Stern, the first televised NBA draft, because he that that was that was the guy every team wanted. And before in the 1984 draft, they did it. Okay, the top two losing teams, they do a coin flip and see see who gets the who gets the pick. But they they said you know what we're gonna do we're gonna do like a lottery system we're gonna have the we're gonna have the big big sphere ball we're gonna have the hand crank and we're gonna have some envelopes going around and whatever team comes out that's gonna have the first pick and that that really put a big print about the whole game globalizing because obviously everyone's fighting for Patrick Ewing this kid this guy from Jamaica obviously like I said before he didn't he really stood out at Georgetown in his four years and stuff but. Just, uh, I would say, just learning a lot about him from literally the frozen envelope that, that showed it showed the value behind a very talented international player, and then just moving to the United States at the age of like ten years old, and how today he's known as the pioneer of NBA basketball. And one common theme I've learned from a lot of international players too is they always keep their feet in the in the NBA. So you see, you see Patrick Ewing. He like this time he's he's coaching at Georgetown. He's doing his. He he was representing the Knicks in the lottery. You see, you see names like Dikembe Mutombo. What he does off the court with his money and everything. He he goes into Congo and his. Oh well, he goes to literally Africa. Helps out everyone. Helps out his community where he came from. He he does he does he does everything just and um just everything because when an interesting uh, fact about Dikembe that I've researched too is. He was never he was never too fond about being a professional basketball player from a young age. Obviously, like all of us, like when we start when we pick up a game of basketball, like the the, the actual ball, we think, hey, you know what? Let's I want to become a professional athlete. I want to do this. But when you think of like with Dikembe Mutombo, what I found out was like when he when he came, wanted to come to the United States, when he came at twenty one years old, he he got in to to Georgetown. He wanted to become a doctor. That was his main goal. And the first time he picked up basketball, he fell at practice and like cracked open, like hurt his nose and like his elbow and scratched himself up, said, you know what? This is not for me. I'm packing away. Even though I'm a very tall kid, I could dominate in this game. But you could see the impact of international players, what they have is uh, what I've learned too, is that a lot of these international players, they, like I said before, they get, they, they're more than just the game of basketball. They show that there's value behind giving back to your community, everything like that. Dominique Wilkins, um, just just literally, just, the list goes on of just players. Obviously, you see today Luka Doncic and and Giannis, they're the main players. Tony Kukoc in the '90s, obviously, him being a big thing of the Dream Team. Obviously, everyone's seen uh, in the tournament when they when they played Croatia and Patrick and uh, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, the the Bulls president at the time was so fond of Tony Kukoc. He's and Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen were like, you know what, we're going to go on the court and make sure this kid gets a hard lesson out of us. And that's what they did. They obviously, the dream team, they were unstoppable in that. They totally shut down Coach, and, and a couple years later, they won titles with him. So, like, you just see just everything just unfold. So, that my book, in my book, you'll see from the very beginning all the major steps that where the game has evolutionized and globalized today. So, I think this is coming out in a very, at a very good time as Giannis is being groomed to be the next face of the NBA. And that's going to be the first time in league history when an international player is 
consensusly considered the best player in the league and the one the league is put, putting all of their marketing behind and making a statement uh, and really putting that guy on a pedestal. It, I've, I've read a lot about what type of impact that's going to have on the growing popularity of the NBA in the United States, but also across the globe. And I, I don't know if, you, if you've thought about that, but I wanted to get your opinion on how it's going to impact the NBA to have a player like Giannis as that guy to take over the mantle from a LeBron James, being an international player, somebody called the Greek freak, and, and how that might affect things, whether it's negative or positive. Yeah, exactly. Like you saw, obviously, uh, Michael Jordan, he dominated the 90s. Lebr- uh, Kobe Bryant, 2000 and 2010, like he, that was the guy. LeBron, literally from, literally he was a, he was famous when he was a sophomore in high school till today. He was, he was on Sports Illustrated when he was 18 years old, got the public eye, right away became that face of the NBA up until I would say about this year. And then everyone, he started to drop. Obviously you saw him on third team. Obviously he had that groin injury, which sidelined him for a while. But like you, like you said, just Giannis having that potential being the face of the NBA, it's nothing but positives for the NBA because that just brings, it, it, it doesn't even bring business to them. Obviously they're, they're Giannis from Greece. You see the impact that he's, he has on a global stage alone but it's 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 in my opinion it's phenomenal. It's it's, it's the time is perfectly right because you just see he's very unique compared to any other NBA player. We haven't really seen an NBA player like him in a long time where he's he could take two steps from the from the or step from the three point line and jam the ball, or two steps from the half court line jam the ball. And once he gets an established shot, he's going to be unstoppable. Unstoppable. Like this, this era is very interesting to see with a lot of global players because obviously you see Ben Simmons you see Luka Dantich you see Giannis it's a new era in the NBA you see a lot of these guys coming over or even even reverse wise you guys saw with RJ Hampton he said you know what I didn't I didn't dream about playing college basketball I'm gonna go play overseas in the NBL for a year and I'm gonna come back I'm while I'm in Australia I'm gonna make money I'm gonna make sure that I'm financially supported I'm gonna come into the NBA as a as a established professional basketball player and so it's it's a two way relationship with international with the NBA and going abroad. You see all these leagues from China to the rising NBL to literally like Real Madrid. You name it, everywhere everywhere over the world, the game of basketball is evolutionizing. So it's like you see Pascal Siakam, for example. Like you see the game of basketball being being now popularized by international players, and it's. It's, it's going to be very special to see how everything turns out. Because if you think about it, if, if it was 10 years ago, like, did, did you expect this amount of high-talent international players to come in and just make an impact as they are now? A lot of people did. But you saw, like, the early stage with Manu and, and obviously, like, well, Tim Duncan, but he was from the Virgin Islands. But, like, there's been a lot of, like you said before, I think Giannis is definitely going to be a – a big star in the NBA and he's going to be the face of the NBA if he's not already. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and I think it'll be, it'll be, it'll be a fun era. And I think you make a really good point that I don't, I don't know that there really has been a time where so many of the biggest and brightest stars have been international players. I think there've been, there've been a lot of great players and a lot of role players, but um, right now I think it's a pretty unique moment with, with as many, as much international flavor as there is. Yeah, exactly. Like you like, Obviously, in the early '90s, like I touched on before, when the when the NBA expanded into Canada and they got the Toronto Raptors and the and the Vancouver Huskies, like they the the Raptors didn't have, or well, not the Raptors, but the the whole country of Canada did not have a NBA team or a professional American basketball team to, since the Toronto Huskies in the 1946-47 season, where they played one season, then they folded. But it would be interesting to see how things turn out. Like, who knows? Like, would there be? Would the NBA consider down the line a team in Mexico or go south or somewhere along those lines or globalize the game a little more? You don't know what's going to happen. Obviously, with the NBA Global Games, if you just look at the timeline of everything and the value of just Olympics and um, just like I said, with like global games, it's it, the, the league is expanding and they're doing – Adam Silver is doing a great job. I think Adam Silver is easily the greatest uh, professional American sports commissioner there is. And out of anywhere, I think he beats out Goodell, he beats out Sealy, he beats out everyone. He's just, he's that, he's really good. And he's been good since he took over for Stern. And he knows exactly, 
how to expand the NBA. And he's done a great job of internationalization. Like he was on ESPN when he was the, when uh, they asked about RJ Hampton, obviously college basketball, like uh, it's starting to get under a lot of players nerves. You see a lot in today's day where college athletes aren't paid. They're not getting their compensation. They're not, they're not They're They're like, okay, like, am I here? Like the get a little money. Am I going to be a paid athlete? Whatever the case is. But a lot of a lot of there's a lot of trailblazers out there that are like RJ Hampton. He's going to be one of those trailblazers that say, "Hey, you know what? I'm going to go overseas and play." Obviously, you've seen other players like Brandon Jennings that went over and said, "You know what?" But that was for different reasons. But yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how the NBA is. I would even say three five years from now, you don't know what's going to happen. No, they're they're taking a great international approach, and that's what separates them from all types of American sports is their global feel. Obviously, the NFL they play a couple they played a couple games in London, whatever the case is, and obviously baseball they're they're very popular over in in Asia and Japan and that area. But like the NBA is is making sure they put their feet in a lot of different countries, and their players are the ones that are doing it. Yeah, that that's absolutely for sure. And and I think you see, you know, NBA players being the you know, biggest celebrities here, but also having the the biggest international reach. Um, so that that sounds amazing, and and we will definitely check out the book when it when it comes out. So it sounds like it's going to be you know published on Amazon. Do you, do you know the title yet at all, or is that uh, yeah. still in progress? Yeah. So the title is going to be called Basketball Beyond Borders: The Globalization of the NBA, and it will be for sale through paperback and and e Kindle version. So it's going to be published on Amazon self-publishing and it will be out in late July, early August. And um, if you want to know more about it, you can follow me on Twitter and I could, um, I'll put up some updates as time progresses. Absolutely. So it'll be perfect when the, the lull from all of the free agency craze is, is winding down, but you're still looking to get your basketball fix. Chris Milholland got you covered. You can check out the book. Uh, which will be great. Um, and Chris, thank you so much for, for joining us. Um, it's always a pleasure to talk hoops with you, um, you know, especially at such a pivotal moment in the Nets franchise, but, but really anytime, uh, you know, always a treat for Brett and I. So thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks, guys. You know, I always appreciate coming on here, Carl and Brett. Thank you a lot. So, uh, you know, Chris, obviously, I guess you can follow him on Twitter at Chris Milholland SB. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Russell and Fro. Uh, you can find us um, in the in the iTunes podcast store. You can find us on Spotify, on SoundCloud, on Stitcher, um, or wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks everybody for listening. Hello Brooklyn, if we had a daughter, guess what I'ma call her, Brooklyn Carter. When I left you for Virginia, it didn't offend you, cause you know I only stepped out to get dinner. Hello Brooklyn, how you doing? That's our back.